if you have your Bibles, we're going to look tonight at the forgiven life. Last night we looked at the forgiving life, meaning that I am learning to forgive those that have hurt me. Tonight we're going to look at the forgiven life. We're going to look at the other side of the coin of forgiveness, and that is myself being forgiven. Going to those whom I have hurt or wronged or offended in any way and saying, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? Uh, and so we're going to look at this tonight. And we're going to spend some time in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 24 as our main text. But before we get there, did you know that you were mentioned in the Bible? Now some of you are like, well, yeah, my mom got my name from the Bible. I know some of you are like back there laughing because your kids' names are actually in the Bible. Like, I'll never forget my, my wife. We were uh, in seminary, and I don't know if the pastor was boring or what, but she was like tearing through the pages of her Bible. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, and she's writing down. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm writing down baby names. Oh, okay, that, that's great. I'm glad I wasn't the one preaching because I might have like, you know, got my feelings hurt. But did you know that you were prayed for in the Bible? Like, you were prayed for. Specifically, you were on the mind of Jesus when he prayed. Because here's the deal. To live at peace, to live at peace with each other, you and I must learn to seek forgiveness. This is our big idea for tonight. We've got to learn to seek forgiveness. And so here's what what, what is prayed in John chapter 17. Jesus is praying in John 17 verse 20, and he says this. I'm praying not only for these disciples, not only for, for these men that are sitting in front of me, this is Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. After he's done the Lord's Supper, he's, he goes out and he begins to pray for his disciples. But then he says this, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Hello, that's us. Could you imagine Jesus sitting there and praying and thinking about Hillcrest Baptist Church in 2021 on May the 26th? I'm not quite sure where I am at times or what what time it is, or church. Did I say it wrong? Highland Crest. Thank you. Thank you. I I do appreciate that. Man, that's always my worst nightmare. Listen, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I usually say church and I usually say pastor. I don't go into names. Because there are times where all of a sudden I'm forgetting it. And I'll even doubt myself. Have you ever noticed that like all week long, I'm like, Pastor, come and give us a word of welcome. Because <laughs> my head's going chat and my mouth's going to say Chris. And then I'm like way out of line, you know. But who? And Jesus in this prayer was thinking about us here today. God, I, I pray for them. What was it that he prayed? Look at verse 21 says this, I pray that they will all be one. I pray that they will be one body, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that. So here's why he's praying, would they be one? It's for this reason, so that the world will, will believe that you sent me. Jesus is praying. He says, listen, here's what I want. I I want unity. He prayed for the unity of the church. 
Not the division, but the unity. Not for, for them to go be amazing speakers or, or great, generous people, but he prayed for them to be one. What did Jesus say when he looked at his disciples? The world will know you are my disciples by what? The love you have for the world outside this building. No, by the love you have for each other. Our unity is important. Jesus is praying for this. And he goes on in John 17, 22, he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you are in me. We're going to unpack this, this phrase in me a little bit more on Sunday morning and begin to understand what this Christian life really should look like. The revived life and what it should look like. This is what he says in 23. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. He's saying, listen, would they be one in such perfect unity? Well, listen, I'm going to go ahead and tell myself. I, I told you I grew up Baptist, right? I remember the monthly business meetings. Some of you chuckle because you remember them too. I remember, I remember um, you know, growing up in, in a church in Fayetteville and as a freshman in high school, revival started to break out in our youth group. We started coming up during the, the invitation time at services and the youth group would flood the, the altar up here and we'd be praying for our lost friends. And then we'd be going to school on Monday and we'd be witnessing to our lost friends. And we'd invite them to church on Wednesday and they'd come to church on Sunday and then they'd start accepting Jesus. And then we started doing baptisms and when they were baptizing our friends, we started clapping. And the deacons in the church didn't like it. They went to the pastor and they said, you need to get those youth under control. They're ruining our service. Pastor said, um, I'm not sure that's really the case because scripture says when one person comes to Christ that the angels in heaven throw a party and they rejoice. Why shouldn't we rejoice over lost souls? The deacons then later asked the pastor to leave. And I remember that Sunday night business meeting. I remember as a sophomore in high school, God said, hey, I want you to stand up and say something. I don't want to. I want you to tell them that it's about unity. It's about being one in perfect unity. Ooh. Church, we miss this so many times. We miss the part of what we're supposed to be about and why we're supposed to be unified is so that the world will see Jesus in us. There is so much disunity already in the world. Just look at Facebook. Post something on Facebook. Go look at a post and read the quotes and read the things underneath it and people's response. There is disunity everywhere. But this is the place where it should be perfectly unified by the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Your your church has a saying, right? It's what? Making him known. Knowing him and making him known. Mm, That's the power of the gospel. I can get behind that all day long. That's what it's about. But not only did Jesus pray for it, Paul begs us to be united. Ephesians 4 verse 1 says this, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, I urge you, I, I, I strongly encourage you to live a life worthy of your calling. 
For you've been called by God. Not called by a man, but you've been called by God himself. Live your life in such a way that it's a worthy calling. i tell you the best phrase that I want to hear when I die. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And I want to come into heaven knowing that I've left it all on the field of life. The man, I'd love to come in like skidding sideways and like rock into heaven and be like, "Woo, what a ride. Let's do that one again. Man, I want God to be like, well done. I, I, that's all I want to hear. And so, man, I want to live a life that is worthy of that calling. Verse two, he goes on to say this, always be humble and gentle. We've talked about humility, right? Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Do we do a good job of making an allowance for people's faults? Or do we do a lot better at pointing them out? When God says, listen, it's not about pointing them out. It's about making an allowance, giving grace and extending grace. Because guess what? None of us are perfect. I'm not perfect either. Look at verse three. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Why? Verse four, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. Paul urges unity because there is one body, there is one spirit, and there is only one glorious hope. What unites us is greater than what divides us. I'm going to change that. You ready? Who unites us? is greater than what divides us. The Spirit of God, Jesus Christ himself, is who unites us. And we've got to get our eyes off of each other and put them back onto the Master. And we've got to do everything within our power. Paul says to work hard at it, make every effort. It is hard work to live in unity, is it not? Some people are harder than others to live with but it's hard to live in unity. There's some things that destroy our unity. There's two things that I think destroy the unity of the body of Christ. The first thing is this, forgiveness not given by us. We talked about this last night. When someone has hurt us, not extending that forgiveness to them. The second thing is forgiveness not sought by us. When I have hurt someone, we've already looked at the fact that God has has opened up the cage to our lives and he set us free and some of us choose to live in there with bitterness. But guess what? Some of us choose to live in there without ever going to others and saying, hey, would you forgive me when I'm wrong? We don't ever seek forgiveness from those whom we have hurt. Listen, uh, it, it it is an amazing thing. Words are powerful. Words are powerful. Um, Jesus says this uh, in Matthew 25, 25, 12, 25. Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. What's happening here? Well, what's happening is the scribes and the Pharisees got together when Jesus was casting out demons and they said, this Jesus guy, he's of Beelzebub. He's a demon himself. And Jesus is like, time out. How can a demon cast out another demon? Like, that doesn't make sense. Why would I work against my own house? And he says this, that a house divided against itself is ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. 
Now, some of us go, wait a minute, I've heard that quote somewhere else. Some guy in our history said this. Yeah, a house divided against itself cannot stand during the Civil War. You know, he was quoting Jesus. Church, isn't this what we need to hear as well? You know what Green Bay needs to see? A church united. Church that loves each other. Our warts and our mess-ups all together. I love you. Even when you hurt my feelings, guess what? I forgive you. Even when I've hurt your feelings, I come to you and say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? Words are powerful. Our words are very powerful. We'll talk about this a little bit on Saturday that we have life words and death words. Here's some, some powerful phrases. I love you. I'll never forget the first time I said that to my wife. I love you. And then she said it back to me months later. Just, just kidding. It wasn't months, it was moments, okay? And that, that, was, that was a special time. Like for me, that was a phrase. I was like, look, I, I'm not gonna tell anybody I love them until I'm like, for sure. I'm like I knew. Like you teenagers in the room, listen, people told me this all the time. You'll just know when you know. It's the honest truth. When I looked at Jen, I, like, I knew that was the woman I was gonna marry. Then I just had to convince her of that, okay? But then there was a time in my life where, where I was waiting for this word from her. Yes. Yeah, you, you guys remember that, right? Down on a knee with a ring, the whole time sweating, palms waiting for her to answer. Yeah. Yes, would you marry me? Absolutely, yes. And then came this phrase, congratulations, you're gonna be a dad. Scary and exciting all at the same time. We were actually told we could never have any kids. My wife had radioactive iodine done when she was in her early 20s on her thyroid. The doctor told us after about two and a half years, almost three years of of not trying not to, um, that she said, you'll probably never be pregnant. That was devastating for us. We wanted five kids. We wanted to be Jesse and Sarah. One day when I grow up, maybe I can be like them. Um, I just, we've adopted their kids. So, I mean, it's, it's great. It's wonderful. We play tag all the time. Jonas is always coming up going, tag, you're it, knowing that I can't chase him because I'm old. Um, but man, I, I will never forget when I called the doctor and said, hey, you know, you're doing some blood work on my wife. Would you just do a pregnancy test? She goes, I've already told you, you can't be pregnant. I, does it cost you anything extra? Does it hurt you to do this? Would you please do this for me? She called me back later on and she said, are you sitting down? Yes. You're going to be a dad. You ready for this? That was five weeks after she told us that we couldn't be pregnant. We were seven weeks pregnant. The doctor went to our church. We were praying for weeks upon weeks upon weeks. God had already seen fit to bless us. It's a man, it's a baby girl, they said. Our world changed tremendously. I thought, man, I could never love any more than what I've loved my wife. And yet my heart grew, felt like the Grinch. It just grew three sizes the day that our daughter was born. And then we had this phrase, can I marry your daughter? Heck no. (laughs) And I said that to the boy. I was like, you do not deserve her. I hope you understand that. Like when they started dating, he wrote his name on a shotgun shell. I wanted to use it that day. 
some of the hardest words we say are, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's sometimes easy to say I'm sorry because sometimes we say I'm sorry not because what we did was wrong, but because we got caught. Are we really sorry that we hurt them? Are we really sorry that we did what we did? Let's take I'm sorry to another level and say, would you please forgive me? Would you please forgive me? This is more than saying I'm sorry. This is saying I, I don't want to do it again. I'm, I, I need you to forgive me for hurting you. First Thessalonians 5.13 says this, show them, that's the leaders of the church, show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. You want to show your pastoral staff that you love them and care about them? Live peacefully with each other. Okay, that's great, Ryan. How do I do this? Hebrews 12, 14 goes on to say this. Work at living in peace with everyone. Yes, it's work. It's work. Some of us take a lot more work than others. Some of us, it's easy to work at living in peace. But he says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. When there is hurt that has happened in our lives because of somebody else, if we don't take care of it, if we've caused this hurt to somebody and we don't say, hey, would you forgive me? Guess what begins to take root in the life? Bitterness. And if we don't get that out, guess what? It doesn't corrupt just that person. It says it corrupts many. It will go on to ruin a lot of things and a lot of people. Being at peace with others is hard. And we've got to watch out that it doesn't, that this root of bitterness doesn't get into our hearts and into our lives. So how do we live at peace? Well, living in peace requires that you and I have a clear conscience. A clear conscience. Now, it's funny to me, I I always think about an old Disney movie when I hear conscience. I think about Pinocchio, that little cricket, Jiminy Cricket. Remember that? I'll be your conscience. You know, and he was always telling Pinocchio, don't do that. That's not wise. And what did Pinocchio do? He did that. And he suffered consequences for it. Well, how do you and I have a clear conscience? What is a clear conscience? Here's, here's our definition of a clear conscience. There's no one alive whom I have knowingly wrong, hurt, or offended in any way, which I have not sought to make right with God and them. There's nobody who is alive that I have knowingly wronged, hurt, or offended that I have not gone to them to say, would you please forgive me? Why is our conscience important? Our conscience is important because it helps us to sleep good at night, right? Okay, so maybe it's a little more than that. I, I'm like that little baby doll that my girls had. Like, you know, you sat it up and its eyes were open. You laid it down and the eyes closed. That's me. I lay down, eyes closed, I'm out. For some reason, that's when my wife wants to talk to me. Any other guys in the room like that? Don't raise your hands. I don't want to get you in trouble. It's gotten to the point where, you know, we'll lay down and the lights will be out. And even to this day, she, we still do it in the, in the trailer. Like we crawl into bed, it's late, we're tired, we crawl in. And she's like, so I've been thinking... Okay, so I, at that point, I've gotten to the point where I go, okay, we're going to talk about this. And I'll sit up and I'll turn the light on and I'll not get comfortable because I know I'll fall asleep. The best part is, is if I don't do that after a while, she's like, are you with me? 
Yes, babe, I'm with you. She goes, you didn't hear a word I just said. Yes, I did. What did I say? Are you with me is what you said. (laughs) I was with you. See, I got it. No, I mean, our conscience, God uses it for two things. One, he uses it to guide us. Romans 9.1 says this, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. God uses our, our conscience to guide us. Acts 24.16, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. He uses it kind of like we would use Siri. Siri, would you get me to the Walmart? Siri, would you get me to the, to the church? Would you, would you, and it gives us directions. He uses it to guide us, but he also uses it to guard us. Hebrews 3, 7 through 8 says this. This is why the Holy Spirit says, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. The same verse is repeated in Hebrews 3.15, in Hebrews 4.17, and it's quoted from Psalms 95.11. Do you think there's a reason why God would say this over and over in his word? Yeah, because if we're not careful, we'll harden our hearts to the Holy Spirit speaking within us, and we'll miss what God has to say. Church, don't harden your hearts. Don't let your conscience get hardened to what God is trying to say. Our conscience is one of two things. It's either guilty or it's clear. We either have a guilty conscience or we have a clear conscience. Uh, this, is, this is really easy. There are some side effects to having a guilty conscience. We'll have some emotional stress in our lives. Sometimes we might have physical sickness. We'll even have mental fatigue. Have you ever tried to hide something from somebody? And you just, you're doing your best to keep them on the outside, to keep this thing hidden because you know that, man, it's not right, it's ugly, it's whatever. And so, man, after a while, it just, it wears on you. It wears on you. It wears on your mind mentally. It it will wear on you physically. Look at what David says in Psalms 32, verses 3 through 4. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy, On me, My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. When we're not living at peace with those that are around us, we're going to be in turmoil inside. We're going to have turmoil in our mind. We're going to have turmoil in our relationships with others. When we don't have a clear conscience. Here's some benefits of a clear conscience. Joy, peace, and confidence. And I, I would love some joy. I'd love some peace. I'd love to be able to have confidence to know that if I stood in a stadium and God brought everybody in there that I'd ever met, nobody would be able to raise their hand to say, you forgot to come to me and say, you're sorry, would I please forgive you? And I'd love to know that I could live my life like that. That there's nobody that I've knowingly wronged, hurt, or offended. Hebrews 10 or sorry, Psalms 32, one through two says this. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Hebrews 10, 21 and 22 says this. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, with clear consciences, Fully trusting him, 
For our, look at this, guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. So question, is your conscience clear? Is your conscience clear? Is it clear with your family? Maybe not just those in which you live in the house with, but your extended family. Is your conscience clear with your parents or your siblings or your aunts or your uncles or your cousins or your nieces and nephews? Is your conscience clear with your family? Is your conscience clear with your church family? Is there anybody that you go to church with or, or maybe you don't go to church with them anymore? Maybe they've, they've left the church. But guess what? We're still part of the same family. We have Christ living in our hearts. We're part of the same family. Is there anybody in your church family that you've wronged, hurt, or offended? Uh, Is your conscience clear with your neighbors? Did you give them back the lawnmower that you borrowed? Or the ladder? Was it in good working order when you gave it back to them? Is your conscience clear in your workplace? Is your conscience clear with your past? See, you and I have been forgiven so that we can live at peace with others. We've been forgiven so that we can extend forgiveness and we can seek forgiveness. That Man, when I know that something that I said hurt somebody, because I know that that happens, my love language is sarcasm. God's been working on that with me, especially with my team members. We've had to learn to start watching our words because even then, even in the sarcasm, there's still an ounce of truth. You know what? Even if I've hurt someone with an ounce, I still need to go to them and say, hey, would you please forgive me? So how do we clear our conscience? How do we clear our conscience? First thing, acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge that that you have actually done something to hurt somebody. Acknowledge what what is, is happening in your life. Quit trying to cover it up. Get it out into the open. We talked about this Sunday night. Bring it into the light of God and let God's light begin to shine in you and through you. Look at Psalms 32, 5. Finally, I confessed all of my sins. This is David after he talks about, you know, his bones are drying up and God's hand was heavy on him and his conscience was crazy. He says, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. We've got to first go to God and say, you know what, God, I I have wronged this person. God, would you forgive me for wronging them? And then go to them and say, I'm sorry, I've wronged you. Would you please forgive me? But we've got we've to acknowledge things. We have to stop justifying things. Uh, see, Jesus was an amazing teacher. There are some teachings of Jesus, though, that I'm not sure I really like. Anybody with me on that sometimes? And you know why I don't like it? Because it gets all up in my grill. And it hits me right where I know I'm hurting the most. Jesus said this. He, he always stepped up the game. He says, listen, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. Granted, I haven't killed anybody yet. But Jesus says this, if you're angry with someone, 
If you call them an idiot, if you curse them, then you've committed murder. Matthew 5, 21 through 27. What was Jesus doing? He was stepping up the game that it's not the act of the murder, it's the intention of the heart. Jesus goes on and he says this, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Okay, I won't commit adultery. But he says this, I tell you that if you've looked at someone and lusted after them, you've already committed adultery. Well, that's not fair. God, I didn't do the act, but my heart wasn't right. Jesus was constantly stepping things up. He was was teaching us to quit looking for the loopholes in the law and to get real about things. He's basically saying stop justifying your actions and your non-actions because it all begins with your motivations. It all begins with the heart. Listen, Jesus is not about behavior modification. He is about heart transformation. He's about changing us from the inside out because if he can change our heart, guess what? He changes our mouths. He changes the way we see things. He changes the way we think about things. He changes the way we hear things. He changes the desires that are in our lives. Jesus is always about stepping it up another notch. Second thing is to seek reconciliation. Reconciliation is an interesting word. Uh, it's a it's an accounting word. I, I'm an accounting major um, in college. I took accounting because my accounting professor was pretty, and I probably went back into that whole thing with lust and all that stuff. And I've already asked God to forgive me. And but I really loved the numbers. You know what, what I loved the most? The balance sheet, because it asked the balance. And when it was off by a penny, oh, I loved it. Some of you are like, dude, you are weird. Remember, I live in a trailer on your parking lot. Okay, I I loved that. Reconciliation means, listen, I'm going back to to get the accounts to balance out, to to make things right. Uh, Look at Matthew 5, 23 through 24. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Wait a minute. So I'm coming into church. It's a beautiful Sunday morning in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I'm walking in. I'm ready to worship. I'm in there and all of a sudden I remember, wait a minute, mm, Friday night I hurt my neighbors. I hurt them because of something that I did or something that I said. I'm just going to keep right on worshiping. I'll talk to them later. It'll be all right. Well, Lord Jesus, we worship you. We sing your name and Pastor Chad preaches a great, a great sermon. It's life-changing. I walk out the door and do I ever talk to, my, talk to my neighbor about that thing? No. Even though God brought it to my mind right then, he says this, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Stop doing what you're doing and go and take care of it. Seek reconciliation. Look at this, verse 24. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. This might be great for a high attendance Sunday. Let's have a reconciliation Sunday. Everybody comes in and then they go, oh man, I've done somebody wrong and they all leave. It's not your sermon, brother, I promise, okay? No, listen, man, if we started taking this, if we kept a short record of the wrongs, that's what Jesus is talking about. If we'll keep a short record, if we'll seek reconciliation, this is what reconciliation means, to restore friendship and harmony to settle 
or to resolve. It doesn't mean that you're best friends. But it does mean you're doing your best to live at peace. As far as it matters to you. I'm doing everything in my power to seek reconciliation. So when we are seeking reconciliation, six things and we're done, okay? We're almost out. Real quick, make a list. Oh, Ryan, you don't want me to make a list because the list could be really long. You might not want to make the list. But man, can I tell you something? You'll only go so far with God as as the, the list that you'll keep. If it's a short list, man, you're gonna go miles with God. But unforgiveness will put a lid on your life. Unforgiveness, whether that be you forgiving people who've hurt you or you seeking forgiveness from those whom you have hurt. It will put a lid on your spiritual life and you won't grow past it. Make a list. And sometimes you might have to say, God, you know what? Would you help me to think about? God, would you, would you bring to my mind anyone who I have wronged, hurt, or offended that I haven't said I'm sorry, would you forgive me to? Would you help me to make this list? And it might be a short list. But this might need to be a prayer that you pray on, on, the, on the weekly or the daily or the monthly. This might be part of your, your quiet time that you've got to put in together. But make a list. Then make contact. Make a list and make contact. You're like, oh, but Ryan, uh, I can't find them. They're, they're gone. Social media is beautiful. The internet is great. You can find a lot of people. Make contact with them. If they've passed away and you can't make contact with them, write them a letter. Write a letter. Write it out on paper. Dear Dad, you hurt me. When, whatever, whatever, whatever. Or, dear Dad, you know what? I I said this to you and I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. But whoever you've potentially hurt, write them that letter. Then make a confession. Be specific. I'm sorry that I hurt you for, and spell it out there. Our girls, I loved it when one would hurt the other one's feelings, and we'd say, tell them you're sorry. Sorry. Was that really an apology? Like, no, tell them you're sorry for, and fill in the blank. I'm sorry that I, and fill in the blank. Make a confession. And then this is where a lot of times we stop. We stop with the the confession and we never take it to this step. Make an opportunity for them to respond. And say, will you forgive me? Guess what? The ball is in their court at that point. You've done everything that you know to do at that point and you've put the ball into their court. Will you forgive me? It's not up to you whether they forgive you or not. What's up to you is did I go to them? Did I make contact? Did I specifically ask for forgiveness for how I've hurt them? In some cases, you might have to make restitution. You might have to pay something back. You, you, you might have to, have to you know, pay for something or, or buy your neighbor a new item that you lost or broke or misused. And, but make restitution. Be obedient to what God tells you to do in that regard. Lastly, make a friend. It's always about restoring the relationship. You've heard me say this. You don't have to be best friends, but you do have to be friendly. Some of you have already kind of tuned me out. You're you're not seeking forgiveness because 
you have these excuses. Well, it happened a long time ago. They probably forgot about it. If God brought it to your mind, get it off your mind. Just go to them. Seek that. You're saying, well, well, they've moved away. Search them up. They have this beautiful thing called a telephone now. You can call them. Email. Social media. If you're not sure how to find them, ask your, ask your younger kids or your grandkids. They'll help you. They're amazing with things like that. Well, it's such a small thing. No, it's not a big thing. Well, it's gotten better. I love this. It's gotten better. We're okay. Are you really? Have you asked them to forgive you? Well, it'll cost me money. It might. Would you rather it cost you your reputation? I'll do it later. Later will never come. Why put off today what I can do tomorrow? I am the major procrastinator. I like to procrastinate. Why? Because I work well under pressure. Come on now. Let's keep a short list. This is one, well, well, they aren't a Christian. You ever thought maybe they're not a Christian because of you? Because we hurt their feelings and we haven't gone to them to say, would you please forgive me? Well, they were more wrong than I was. Really? Well, it happened before I was saved. Doesn't matter. Unforgiveness puts a lid on your spiritual life. So here's our life in action question tonight. Who have you wronged, hurt, or offended that you need to go to and ask to forgive you? Who have you wronged, hurt, or offended that you need to go to and ask to forgive you? Tonight's invitation is going to be a little bit different. Um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to actually practice this right now. There might be somebody in this room who you need to go to and say, hey, would you please forgive me? And all of a sudden your palms started sweating. Your heart's racing. You're like, dude, I am not walking across the sanctuary because everybody will know why I'm doing that. They'll know why I'm walking. I'm, mm-mm, Ryan, I ain't do, I'm not getting my stuff. We're going out the door. Kids, get your stuff together. Let's go. Like when he says amen, we're out the door. Can I create a little camouflage for you? Can I create a little movement for all of us? Maybe God has put somebody on your heart and they're in this room. Would you go to them tonight and say, would you please forgive me? And seek to restore that relationship in some form or fashion. Or maybe you need to step out and make a phone call. But would you do what God is asking you to do? Now, here's the camouflage. All of us will get up tonight and move around. I want you, before you leave tonight, to find three people. And I want you to tell them one thing that God has taught you this week. One truth that he's brought into your life. Something that he's done. And and how you've responded to that. Some of you are like, oh, I can do that. Like, I got you, I got you on that one, Ryan. We were in Raytown, Missouri, and, and it was this time of the evening, and came time for this invitation, and I prayed, and we said amen, and um, Brent, who Jesse and Sarah took Brent and Maggie's position, they were with us on the road still at that time, and so Brent and I are coming up, and we're kind of just sitting up here and kind of talking through the week and evaluating, and sweet little lady who played the piano in the church was sitting over here. She has her mask on, and she comes walking by the platform, staring at me. Maybe it's more of a glare. Because if looks could have killed, I'd have been dead. I'm looking at Brent like, dude, I, like, do we need to call security? Like, 
bodyguard, like something. And she's walking past me the whole time just staring. She's walking across. I'm like, ooh, this is not going to be good. She walked over here, and I didn't see where she walked because Brent and I went back to talking. Several minutes later, she comes by with tears rolling down her face. She says, it's done. It's been needing to be done for a long time. But it's done. And then smiled. Tonight, would you live in the freedom of forgiveness? Would you go and seek the forgiveness of those who God has put onto your heart and to your mind? Would you come out of the cage that forgiveness keeps us in, unforgiveness keeps us in? Would you become who God has created you to be? Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for our time tonight and our time this week. Lord, we ask that you would, in in these next moments, Lord, as we get up and and we begin to walk around before we go out these doors, and God, we, we begin to tell people what you've done in our hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that there would be some people in here who would go to somebody and say, hey, would, would you forgive me? I, I'm so sorry that I hurt you or that I wronged you or that I offended you. Would you please forgive me? God, would you help us as your church to work at living at peace with everyone so that, Lord, the world will know that you are the Messiah, that you are worthy. God, would they know that because of our unity with each other and our love for one another. Thank you so much, God, for the time that we have spent together this week. Lord, it is crazy how quick it has gone and yet how slow it has gone. Lord, would this time be a sweet time together. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.